My name is Anthony. Uh, some of you know me. I'm one of the pastors here at Mountain. I was born and raised in Kenya, so some of you already know that. But I remember this one day when I woke up and didn't have nothing to do. Not that it's so strange uh, being growing up in Kenya, but this one day I still remember that I woke up and prayed for a new life. Before this one day, I had been working and helping in an organization that was helping uh, the victims of another pandemic that was in the 90s. And that was the pandemic of HIV and AIDS. And this day, I woke up and prayed, God, this is not working. Where do you need me? Do you need me to find a job? Maybe maybe to go to USA? Or what do I do from here on? And I sense God saying, you can go to USA. Now let me remind you, that's not because I had savings, not because I had wealthy parents, not because I knew how I can get there. It's just believing and knowing I need something new. It took a year from that day for me to find myself on a British air landing into New York with what I thought was a lot of money, $300 in my pocket, landed in New York. Most of us deep in our hearts say we want a purpose. We want a bigger purpose that will inspire us to live and do more than we can do on our own. We're tired of the same old, same old. But some of us have so much to live with, but so little to live for. Some have so much money, but don't know how to use it. Others have a lot of money, if we can say that, but don't know have the time of how to spend it. You may say, I have worked so hard. I've done all I can do. I've done all I can do. It's been relentless. But all I keep finding myself is failing over and over again. And I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed of trying over and over again. And you say, I'm just playing it safe. This is it. I'm not doing any more. I've done all I can. And I'll just sit here and be safe. But these statements are inspiring us for something different. They say, a person who never made a mistake Never tried anything new. Guess who said that? Einstein said that. Look at this other one. I've shot 9,000 shots in my life. I have lost almost 300 games. 26 times I was trusted to take the game-winning shot and miss. I failed over and over and over again in my life. And that's why I have success. 
Michael Jordan say that. We've been looking at the life of Moses, and we have seen his lives in three segments. The first segment is his first 40 years when he lived like a prince. He lived in the palace, and that time, in that segment, he is a somebody. The second 40 years, Moses is a fugitive living in the desert like a nobody. The third 40 years of Moses, he becomes a leader, leading God's people into the promised land. And he learns how God can take a nobody and use him. Today, we will look at what happened to Moses, that one day that changed his life. He's been in the desert, thinking, no way with all my failures can God take a utensil just like me and use it. But this one day that we're going to look at today changed his life. He just stopped to look at a bush, a burning bush. And then what? That moment right there changed his life forever and ever. And we find this story in the book of Exodus where we've been looking at in chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mount of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn. Moses thought, I'll go over. I'll go over and see this strange sight, why this bush is not burning up. Moses was doing what he does every day. Then he stopped to look at a particular bush, and nothing was normal again in the rest of his life. No angel had come to Moses that morning and said, Hey, Moses, today God will speak to you. There was no dreams, no premonitions, no alert, no alarm to tell Moses, Today God is going to speak to you. It was just another day in the office of the wilderness. Another day of him looking after sheep out there with nobody else. And this helps us to know that God can pick an ordinary day. Your day, my day in the office, raising those kids, driving the car, wherever you are, God can pick a day and speak to ordinary people like you. And me. But Moses noticed the fire. He could have missed it. He could have been distracted. He could have been jamming with his music. He could have been on his phone, in the social media, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram. He could have been with his magazines just shopping. 
How about his remote controls and his sports channels? He could have been distracted by name it, think it, and he could have missed the call. What will it take to stop you in your tracks? For a minute, just a minute, Moses stopped and met his destiny. Moses saw that burning bush and said, I will go see. And in that moment, he meets his destiny. You know, we miss God's moments because we are so fixated in our past. We are so anxious for the future. And then we miss our life. We miss the presence that is right there to you. But Moses didn't miss it. In verse 4, when the Lord saw that he had gone to look, God called him from within the bush. Moses! Moses! And Moses says, here I am. The fire was effective in grabbing his attention. Fire in the Old Testament always symbolized God's presence and God's action right there. And in this particular time, the fire has a voice coming out. We call this a theophany. When God appeared in human form in the Old Testament. But this time, he's wrapped in flames. That's what theophany is. So in verse 5, we see the voice and God in the fire say, Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals. For the place you're standing is holy ground. There was nothing really special with the ground. That mountain is still here. You can go there right now. It's because of God's presence that made that ground holy. Holiness is both a gift and a demand. It's like a magnet that attracts and demands. God attracts us to himself and requires us to move away from distractions, to separate ourselves so that we can focus on his call. So he tells Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. God may use an extraordinary event or circumstance to tap on your shoulder in order to grab your undivided attention. He may use something like that to intrude into your daily life and say, wait a minute, stop, be still. I have something to say to you. When you come across something extremely unusual, what do you say? You usually say, oh, it's just a coincidence. It's weird. But this is reminding us, this story of Moses is reminding us. It's a good idea sometimes to ask, is God 
saying something to me right now? And then God has not introduced himself yet. In verse 6 of this chapter, he says, I am God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. God is identifying himself with his father who is still in Egypt as a slave. God is identifying himself and he's connecting generations with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses gets it. He's being connected with those patriarchs. And sometimes when we hear and read those names, we think these are the superstars of the Bible. But in this moment, no, that's not why God is even mentioning them. They all had failures. They all went up and down in their walk and their faith and trust with God. And when Moses hears God mention them, he gets it. And he hides his face because he's also ashamed of his failure. God is establishing his identity and his mission that started way back with those patriarchs. And now he's reaching out to Moses and he's connecting to say, I'm still God on mission. It's been my mission with your patriarchs and my mission will move forward with you, Moses. So he's connecting all those dots for Moses. And that's why he hides his face. In Exodus 3, 7, 8, and 10, the Lord said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. Verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And then he tells Moses, so now go. Now you go, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Back to verse 7, God is saying, I have seen, I have heard. The original language means I have experienced their suffering. God feels the pain of all human suffering. And that's why he's saying to Moses, that's why I have come down on this mountain today, Moses. I've come down from heaven to appear to you because, and the word here, because I want to snatch my people from slavery. I can see the grip of the Egyptian power over them. And what is he saying? God hears, God experiences, and God knows 
what you're going through. Our God and our faith sides with the weak and with failures. God is God of the oppressed. He's God of the slaves, he's saying. He cares. He's aware. And that's why he has come down. And the enemy wants you to believe he doesn't care. All these years you've been in slavery in Egypt, where is this God? He doesn't care. That's the lie of the enemy. Where, when, when we're in the intense of suffering, the lie is so sometimes magnified, like where is God in this? But he's saying, I feel it. I care. I am coming down. I am God with us. Emmanuel, like we always say, believing in God and our Christian faith doesn't imagine the pain and the suffering away. We don't imagine all this gets easier when we come to God. No. When Jesus died, suffered for our sins and died and rose, he still had his scars. To show that the pain and the suffering is real, still here. There are times we are so pulled into what, what do I do with all these wrongs and all this injustice and all this suffering? What do I do, God? Sometimes I'm almost drowned with the pain. Then I look at Paul and he reminds me what is first, what is important. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul states, Now, let me remind you, Anthony, let me remind you of the gospel, which is the good news that I preached. For I delivered to you what is of first importance, which is most important. What's chief significant when you're going through so much is that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance to scriptures. That's good news. No matter how bad it looks, he died for my sins. He rose. And there is hope that in his resurrection, he has started to right all the wrongs. When we get all drowned in trying to fix this message of the gospel, this knowing that he's died and reason reminds us of the grace. Because when we do without the gospel, when we do without Jesus, it becomes graceless. We start talking truths without love. We start becoming showmen without really loving our neighbor. But Jesus saying, Paul is saying, what is fast? What is important? It's the gospel. I have died. I have reason. And I will be with you. We jump in verse 10. God said to Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. And Moses was like, who? Me? 
uh, may, may, maybe somebody else, not, 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 not me. It can't be me. You, you can't be meaning me, God. God said, yes. Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring Israelites out of Egypt? Meaning I don't have any status. I'm inadequate. I've been in this wilderness 40 years. I used to have a good-looking resume. All I do now is to look after sheep. What, what, what proof? I mean, how can you do this, God? You see who I am. You see my clothes. You see, the proof will be that you will go and you will bring my people in this very mountain and they will worship right here. And all that just went over his head. He didn't get that part. Moses said to God, they will ask your name. They will want to know who sent me. And the name in the Old Testament is not just a name. It's character. It's reputation. So Moses is saying, if I go and they ask your name, they'll want to know, what's your credibility, God? I mean, what have you done all these years they've been suffering? Show us your resume. Tell us and show us you can do this. After all, it's been how many and how long they've been in this. What's your reputation? What have you done? No, you can't say you're God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were small families. Like they, they didn't face a superpower like Egypt. What's your name? What can you do? God say to Moses, I am who I am. My name is not just an idea in your head, Moses. You just don't need a definition to, to box me in your head and use whatever you want, Moses. And more than that, I'm always actively present. This chapter reveals the name of God that will be revealed in the rest of the book of Exodus and in the rest of the Old Testament. It's so deep and so huge. But God doesn't answer Moses directly. He says, I am with you. I am always with you. And you must go and tell the sons of Israel, I am has sent me forth to you. Moses will have authority. That's the authority Moses gets. And the active presence of God. This will be proof that you will go and I will go with you and you will bring them back. This is what God is giving Moses. It's always God with. God with those who will faithfully obey his sending. It's God with his people in good times and in bad times. It's God with the poor. It's God with the needy in their affliction. It's God who will eventually be God with us on this earth. Israel's own experience in God will confirm this 
name, Moses. And the name will shape my people Israel. And you will make a story with them. And also their walk with my name will give texture to my name. God is always and will always be God who you can know and trust now and in the future. Moses have some excuses, just like you and me. The first one was like, what if they ask a lot of questions? I, I, I don't have answers. What will I say? What will I say? What's your name? We all do this today, right? We say, Lord, I, I can't do that. Somebody might corner me with, with a tough question like, were the dinosaurs in, in the ark one time, and, and how did they fit in there? What, what am I supposed to say to that? God, how do I answer that? Why do we always think we should know everything? You know why? Pride. It's okay to say I don't know. It's okay to say I'll go research and I'll come back with you. It's okay to not know every answer. Excuse number two from Moses said, I may not have their respect. He's saying this in chapter 4, verse 1. When he said, what if they do not believe me? What if they say, did the Lord really appear to you? Are you making this up, Moses? Moses fears ridicule. He's afraid of appearing like a silly old man. He says, in effect, God, have you, have you been in Egypt lately? Have you seen their roads, their universities, how they look? Do you know just how developed they are and how educated? And look at me. I've been out here with a ship. What am I going to tell them? They'll have no respect for me. This excuse comes from what if is hypothetical. What if they say, and who told you Moses they will say? Those are always and will always be the words of warriors. Every warrior in the family of God lives in those two words. What if such and such occurs? What if it rains? What if the power fails? What if we've done this before? What if, what if? Many people feed their minds on the uncertainty of tomorrow, allowing the what if to be the monster that just chokes on their throat and they can't do anything. They can't imagine a future from today. But God say, let me show you. What are you holding, Moses? And he had a staff. He said, lay it down. And he laid it down and it became a serpent. And Moses jumped. And he runs. God said, go ahead and, and hold it. And he held it. And it became a staff again. Moses said, I have, God said, I have powers. 
I'm not sending you empty-handed. I'm, I'm equipping you with some powers you can do where I'm sending you. Excuse number three, we all say this. I'm slow in speech. I'm slow in tongue. I can't, I can't speak like them. I have an accent. This can be my excuse. I have an accent. I live on the other side of 40. I've worked in warehouse for 20 some years. Uh, I'm uh, from Africa. I, no, God, uh, you see that guy over there? He's, he's educated, went to good schools. They're eloquent. We all do this. And Moses said, no, I can't. I've been with a sheep, God. I can't speak to them. All I know to do is ba like sheep. ba I can't speak like them. God says, I'll give you words. I'll give you wisdom. I don't give it in advance, like a credit in advance. It's when you're ready to speak, I'll give it to you. And you'll be able to express what I'm telling you to say. Excuse number four from Moses. Yes, God, but all that is good. I know and I kind of agree, but it's a bad plan. It can't be me. It has to be somebody else. There are better qualified people around here. They, they've led groups. They've gone to missions. They've done business. It, it, it can't. It can't be. Look, look at that lady right there. You know, she looks good. Her hair. She's well-spoken. She has a, no, God. Bad idea. Just speak on somebody else. And God say, nope. My word is fine on Moses. I know everything about all those people, but I'm picking you. I am choosing you, and I'm not changing my mind. My call is clear. And that's God's answer to all our excuses. And farther down in chapter 4, God tells Moses, those those kings, those pharaohs who wanted to kill you now have died. You can go there now. I know one time you were among the top ten most wanted people in Egypt. Your head was a prize. But they have now died, Moses. You can pick your family and go to Egypt. And Moses took his wife, his sons, and mounted on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. Moses took his staff. Is God gracious or what? He can see all our failures and weaknesses and still choose us. We have a Lord who knows our hearts, who knows our thoughts, who knows our fears. He's gracious and his active presence assures us that he'll always be with us. What's the big lesson from M.O. here today? Calling. Calling. God calls us to himself. And everything we are, everything we do, 
And everything we have is invested with a special devotion to God and his service. Nobody should say, I am not called. Nobody should say, I'm not called or sent like Moses was. I can only relax here like an ordinary church goer. Nope. God sees you and calls you. No one have that excuse. God called Moses and gave him the biggest awesome task to do for Israel. And nobody else was able to do that until Jesus, his son, came and died on the cross. Jesus was aware when he walked on earth of his calling from his father and of, of being sent on a mission by his father. As we all look for a purpose, Jesus is the main thing for all of us. He's our ultimate focus for life. He's the most brilliant, wise person who ever lived on earth. Jesus saves the misguided and wasted lives like Moses, like me, like you, and takes them to fulfill a purpose that's bigger than us. Jesus is calling you right here, right now, because heaven is invading us. Don't worry about the past or the future. Eternity starts right here, and Jesus is calling us to give us a purpose. He's calling you to trust him as a savior from all the past mistakes that you ever did. He's calling you, despite all you're going through with kids in your marriage, at work, in health, he's still calling you by name because he knows you to give us a total new direction with his calling. And then Jesus, after he calls us, he says, come follow me. Then I will make you. I will mold you. Don't worry about what you have going on right now. And that's how he found me that night on my 22nd birthday. Felt hopeless. Been reading a Christian book. Didn't want to read any Christian book, but this night I didn't have anything to read. And I started negotiating with Jesus. Do you know me? Do you know my addiction and my hopelessness and my poverty and my background? You can't handle me, Jesus. Say, Anthony, don't worry about all that. Like Peter walked on the water. You can walk on the waters of your challenges. As long as you keep your eyes on me. Don't worry about fixing yourself right now. Just call on me and I will be there for you. And I did. It's been 30 some years. 
and he forgave my sins, and he's given me a purpose, and he sent me in this land. I land in New York with a few phone numbers, a few addresses, and I find myself in, Hafford, in Essex to begin with, with some friends. And then I walk around looking for a church, and this church had some people who had a church in Darlington. That's how I met my wife. That's how I came to this church, just driving on 152. I could have had excuses when I came in 96. I don't see nobody look like me. There's not a lot. Nobody eats my kind of food. Nobody knows my language. There's a lot of changes happening right now, maybe, but I hang in there. The very first service I sat here, God said, I, I want you here. Just persevere. Just hang on. Just serve. And I stayed. I could have left. I could have said, I want my Kenyan. I want my goat meat. Now I like crabs more than anything else. I've become a Maryland. I always asked, why Maryland? Why here? Then when I see all the nuns and the Northeast and the work God is doing here, Say, yeah, at least I can pray. He can call you. He's calling you. And he wants you to say yes to him today. Let us pray. Jesus, I thank you. I praise you. I lift all of us under my voice to you today and pray you heal and save and rescue and give someone here today a next step that will change the rest of their lives. For we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.